0: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly
1: want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast. You're listening to episode 195.
0: Only five away from 200, Mark. And Jake, I got 99% probability that we're going to do something incredible for our 200th show live at one of the big service companies and just get wait and get everything confirmed and then we'll make an announcement to everybody but i'm really looking forward to it you know what else is pretty cool i don't know if you actually looked i didn't know that there was actually 181 separate countries in this world (laughs) but i pulled the stats on just this show we're over 700 thousand downloads just for this show and we're in 181 different countries jeez I threw the Excel spreadsheet in there of all the countries we're in, and it's in order. Our biggest audience is at the top and our smallest is at the bottom, but there's countries in there I'd never heard of before. So For everybody out there, for all our new listeners, for all our existing listeners that are all over the world, that are in places like Oman and Italy and Denmark and China and Turkey and Pakistan and Greece and Ghana and Israel and Angola and the Philippines and Jamaica and Cyprus and Bahamas, thank you. <laughs> Without all of y'all support, Jake and I would just be sitting here talking to ourselves, which would be kind of weird. But we appreciate all our existing audiences and all our new listeners. So thank you. It's also crazy when people write in and say they've been listening for years on end. You know,
1: let's see. We've been doing this together since end of two thousand sixteen, you know, and now yeah. we're in twenty
0: twenty. So it's been quite a while. It's been a great time. It's it seems to get better as we go forward. I do want to mention something, a big shout out. So, our last show, or maybe this show before last, I talked about how I had to get a new car, and I talked about how if you're a car person, you get emotionally attached to your car and it hurts a little bit to get rid of your old car. Jake somebody sent me some Tiffany's cookies with a condolence <laughs> letter that, that they felt for me for getting rid of my car. And those cookies were really good. They didn't want me to mention their name, so I'm, I'm not, but just a big shout out to our our listeners who felt bad that I had to get rid of my car. And I really appreciate that. I mean, I know it's funny because if you're not a car person, it sounds bizarre, but I mean, it was a heartfelt gesture. So thank you. It was funny. I was at the gas station heading
1: to work about four days ago, and I run in to grab a drink in the morning, and the guy in front of me turns around and he looks at me once turns back around, looks at me twice. And he was like, you do the podcast with Mark, don't you? I was like, yeah, I do. It's just such a small world, especially in Houston. And it's so funny how often that happens, especially since our faces aren't plastered on a podcast art or
0: anything, you know, it's just the voice, but it's funny that they can Match the face and the voice together. Yeah, we get that all the time. It's just part of being a professional podcast. It is really cool when people recognize our voice. Speaking of really cool, if you want to support the show, leave us reviews. We got some good ones. So great show, a lot of relevant info. Mark could speak a little bit slower. I've heard that a lot. Sorry, everybody. This is from. Ooh, I'm not gonna even try it. Ir milvov in the United States of America. And then, hey guys, thanks for putting out fantastic content, making it easy to stay informed on what's happening in the oil and gas industry. I started listening to your podcast about a year ago as a means to learn more of what this industry entails and a broader spectrum and have learned so much from your discussions. As a relatively new female attorney wanting to enter the oil and gas practice, your podcast has helped me tremendously in staying abreast of the hot news. To make matters even better, I got a high shirt. Congratulations. So keep up the good work and great conversations going. And this is from Owazum adri from the united states of america so awesome that you won this shirt people i'm telling you if you haven't won the shirt try every week until you win one it will pay off but it's time to get the news stories jake so what's up first
1: all right up first a little bit somber clayton williams has passed away at age 88 you know it's bound to happen sooner or later but you know this guy's a legend especially if you've worked in midland for any point in time for those of you who don't know williams he grew up in the oil fields of west texas as a lease broker he started clayton williams energy on the pipeline and on the upstream side in 93 to Clayton Williams Energy Public. Then he got into a whole bunch of other things, ranching, real estate, banking, actually tried his hand at long distance telecommunications. And then he also taught at Texas and m for quite a while and then in January 2017 Clayton Williams Energy was sold to Noble Energy for $2.7 billion. So rest in peace,
0: legend. Yeah. He also ran for governor, I believe. I don't think he won. I think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He didn't win, but I think, yeah, he definitely put up a good fight. I know he had had made some controversial remarks that even in the 90s didn't really sit well with people. So he was just from a different generation. Yeah. So condolences to
0: his family out there. We've just lost a great uh, woman.
1: All right. Let's talk about NAEP. Mark, how was your NAEP experience? So then this next article is talking about the because the crowds were resilient, you know, through the times and all the stuff that we're seeing. So let's dive into that. How was it for you?
0: So it was awesome. Now we only went one day, typically go a couple of days. We had some other commitments, but it was a fantastic turnout. You can always tell for the icebreaker. And if people don't know what I'm talking about, the evening before they open up the exhibit halls for the public, they have an icebreaker. It's basically all the exhibitors and the, the people that are kind of in the know. It's a cocktail event. And I can always tell what they suspect. How good Nate turned out to be by the quality of the food <laughs> that's at the icebreaker. If it's cheap food, then there's not going to be a great turnout. If it's expensive food, they expect a great turnout. So the great food. And then when we went the next day and walked the floor, it was a really good turnout. I don't know what the actual final numbers were, but it's definitely one of the biggest Nate turnouts that I've seen probably in the last five years or so. Same way with the exhibitors, there were over 700 exhibitors. It was interesting to me, Jake. I have never seen. And if they've been there, I just, I guess I never noticed it before, but I have never seen the number of foreign investment properties. So you had people from Australia displaying leases, oil and gas leases in Australia. You had people from the Caribbean, you had people from Africa. It was just interesting to see the foreign influx of people that had oil and gas leases to offer outside of the US. Now I will say this much, the energy at the conference that one day was good. But not great. You could tell that you know the people weren't super optimistic. They were still optimistic about stuff, but they weren't super optimistic. So the energy was, like I said, good but not great. But the turnout was was awesome. And so, actually, one of our listeners, if you might know what the final attendance numbers, I'd love to know what that looked like.
1: Yeah. So this was actually, believe it or not, this was the first year I actually didn't go to the conference itself. And well, I'm not my first year ever. I mean, I've only been going for like last six, seven years, but first year in the last six, seven years that I haven't been. did go to quite a few of the after parties. A lot of people know that that's where a lot of the business happens anyways. Just un- unfortunately, couldn't break away to go to the conference, but I heard a lot of things. The parties were definitely well-trafficked. <laughs> I went to the v and party that was over at the Rustic, and there was a ton of people there. And then we hosted ours along with a bunch of other startups at the BBVA Dynamo Stadium. And we had just a huge, huge turnout. We had like 1,200 RSVPs. I think close to like 800 people actually showed up. But I think, I think the article nails it. I think everybody's being a little bit resilient. I think we never really came out of the last downturn. And I think it's a sign that things are changing. We've been talking about that for months and months and months now. And I think people are just really, really trying to get smarter in the way that they work. And I think it's a little bit of a forced evolution, but I think it's it's very much needed. And I think the industry's going to come out stronger.
0: Yeah, I agree 110%.
1: So speaking of that, first article up is Chevron CEO Michael Worth says it's not appropriate to compare energy stocks. To the tobacco industry, especially given the
0: role that it plays. In society, you know, come on, industry. I mean, it's getting to the point where the CEO of Chevron has to say this publicly, you know. But I get his point, right? You're seeing a lot of talk lately. It's been going on for a while, but I see a lot of talk lately about funds divesting themselves from oil and gas investments. They're doing it because they think it's better for the planet, and, and you know, everybody that's listening to this knows that that's not true. But it's really interesting. The thing that is having the leaders of the industry are having to deal with this negative public perception around ESG around CSR you know it started off as being something that was kind of on the sidelines now it's to the point now where it's affecting shareholder value And so, you know, for investment funds that want to walk away from fossil fuel investments, you can go ahead and do it because other people will make money off of it. But, you know, it's to the point that Chevron has to try to educate the public that hydrocarbons are not the same as tobacco. Jeez, I could spend all day talking about this, but this is actually a really good article. If people want to, to understand what they're having to deal with, you need to take a look at this and read it. I
1: love one of his quotes that said, the reality is if all tobacco use were ceased today, I think the world would be just fine. If we ceased all use of hydrocarbon products today, the world would not be fine. And I think that's his point, and, and that's exactly right. So I think that's always the greatest counter argument, especially when people are like, you know, fossil fuels are the, the death of the world and this and that. And it's like, well, just completely stop using petroleum products in your daily life. And let's start there and see if you still feel the same way. So just do it for a day. Just a day. A
0: just a 24 day. <laughs> hours.
1: <laughs> so speaking of that, this kind of segues right into the next article. Jim Cramer, obviously the guy on Mad Money shouting, screaming all the time, banging buttons, really entertaining. But he was quoted saying, I'm done with fossil fuels. We're just done. We're starting to see divestment all over the world. You're seeing divestment by a lot of different funds. We're in the death knell phase. We've seen that you know energy stocks have been underperforming for quite some time and they've been absolutely beaten down. But the point that this article was making was that we need to see more consolidation. And honestly, we haven't seen a whole lot in Q1 2020. I think from what I'm seeing, I think just the bid-ass spread is just too large. And I think people are really struggling to come to grips with the current value of either their companies or their assets. That's kind of what I'm seeing. What do you think, Mark?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to agree with you. The other thing is what we just talked about in the previous article. It's public perception. You know, if you don't think that perception can influence markets, you're crazy. (laughs) You know, there's people out there making millions of dollars just by buying and selling based on, on perception. Will Jim Cramer be honestly through with energy stocks? No. I doubt it. Yeah, That's just him being Jim Cramer, which actually I like the guy. I don't always agree with him, but I just like how he handles stuff. But, I do you like the fact that he says he sees a similarity between the oil and gas industry and American shopping malls? so shopping has went through a dramatic change with online giants, things like Amazon. But the other thing is there's still brick and mortar reasons for you to go in. You know, If you're looking for something that's expensive or something that's complicated, you tend to want to touch it, see it, feel it, learn it before you buy it. That's a hard thing to do online, but it's changing the way we shop. And I think to your point, Jake, the oil and gas industry has no choice. They have to change the way they do business, not only the way they do business, but like the way they fund projects. And you're seeing that change being forced upon the industry, and you're also seeing parts and pieces of the industry embrace that change and run after it. I think those are the companies that are going to pull forward. And I think those are the companies that Jim Cramer will put his money back in no matter what he says. Absolutely. I think it's time and time again,
1: we're just seeing that consolidation is probably going to be a smart move. You know, He made a good, I guess, kind of comp example of the Simon Property Group whenever they bought one of their major rivals, the Taubman Centers, in a major $3.6 billion deal. And now the Taubman stock's up more than 50%. Simon closed up 1.45%. So I think you see a lot of the same things in energy. But then again, think about the... uh, oxy and a darko deal and how that just really has not played out but i think that was just probably
0: not the greatest deal in the world well it, they took a chance right and i still firmly believe chevron is waiting patiently on the sidelines <laughs> with all this capital just wait and wait and <laughs> wait for it to tank and they're gonna step back in and they are going to buy them both let's we'll see if i'm right about that i have no insider information by the way people I think you can see a lot of consolidation in upstream in the mid midsize players in the US. I don't think you can see a lot of consolidation. I mean, I don't want to say I know, but I'm convinced you're not going to see a lot of consolidation downstream. Midstream, it depends on what it is. The major players, the enterprise partners of the world, they're out buying. That's part of their everyday business, right? They're always looking for acquisitions, but nobody's going to buy them. So I think if you're a mid-size upstream operator, The odds are you're either in somebody's crosshairs or you have crosshairs on your competition. But the industry as a whole, I don't think you can see a lot of consolidation just because it's expensive to get in this industry. But let's see what happens. BP aims
1: for net zero emissions and Oxy is planning on ending flaring. So BP has extended its commitment to reducing its carbon footprint to net zero by 2050 or sooner. They're focused on uh, quote-unquote high-quality barrels that come with high returns, not necessarily the big
0: production volumes of the past. What in the world does that mean, Mark? This goes back to everything we've been talking about, about the CEOs of large companies having to protect shareholder value. You know, This is an about-face change from the leadership at BP. Just a year or so ago, the former CEO was talking about how hydrocarbons are vital to humanity and you're not liable for how people use them, and he's not convinced that man's use has sped up the pace of climate change. Here you go about a year later and their new CEOs is talking the exact opposite. And I get it. As an industry, we're being forced down this route. We have no choice. You will see some type of financial incentives around carbon dioxide, whether that's taxes or credits or whatever here in Europe. The companies are going to have to go down this route. It's not based on solid science, but honestly, it doesn't matter. It's based on what the business is being driven to do. So is it a good thing for BP to go for net zero emissions? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Is it a good thing for oxy in flaring? Yeah. Are they doing it because it makes fiscal sense? Sort of. If you look at it from a long-term, you know, approach does it matter what Jake and I say about this? No, because it's going to happen anyway. It will be interesting to see how BP actually gets that zero emissions by 2050. I think a big part of it is they're going to tighten down on what they release in the atmosphere even more than they are now, which honestly is not much. If you don't know this, our CO2 emissions have gone down every year for the last six years here in the U.S., even though our production of hydrocarbons has gone up. That's one hell of an accomplishment. I think they are probably to go down the route of some type of technology to pull CO2 out of the air. I think a lot of super majors are going down this route. So they can actually do the math and say, okay, we released this much CO2, but this machine, this tool can pull the same amount of carbon dioxide out of the air. So we're net zero. I think that's how they're going to actually do it. It's impossible to be a hundred percent no emissions. Even if you have an electric car, you still have emissions. It's just not coming out the tailpipe of your car. It's coming out the electrical plant where your energy was generated for your car. So you can see more and more of this. It doesn't make business sense, but like I said, it doesn't matter what I think.
1: I'd be curious to know, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think this is a, it's a a good move for BP. I think their motives are obviously just to be more PC and to please the public and same thing with Oxy. It'd be interesting to see how much are they spending on creating content to hopefully change and educate the masses to change
0: public perception. You know what, Jake, when you look at it that way, it's actually good for our industry. I've never even thought about it that way, that by being forced down this route, they're going to have to try to educate the world. That's a good thing.
1: Well, let's see. I mean, I haven't seen BP put on anything. I haven't seen Oxy put on anything. This would be a perfect moment to start People are paying attention to it, right? So why not take it, run with the narrative, and start educating people and let them know that you would not have this life without the abundance of hydrocarbons that we have in this country, in certain countries worldwide. But I've yet to see anybody actually take it on. This is something we've been talking about for a long time.
0: I've seen some like big budget stuff put out by Exxon and Chevron and Equinor but it's too overproduced. It looks like a Hollywood production and total honesty, it doesn't move the needle. What these companies really need to do is have their frontline people that work for them, that work in the local communities, just talk about what their day-to-day is. You know, have material scientists talk about how much of our modern world is dependent on hydrocarbons. And once again, not emotions and not politics, just facts. But it needs to be a more one-on-one type of conversation. Actually, BP, if you're listening, Jake and I both have podcasts that we can help get the message out on.
1: Absolutely. I think to distill what you said, down is that it has to be an authentic dialogue. You can't come in scripted. You can't come in like a politician. You can't come in overproduced. People want to just have candid conversations about how hydrocarbons are affecting the world, whether positively or
0: negatively, depending on which side of the fence you're on. You know, One of the things that we blew over real quick, but you made me think of it, is when I was at Nape. I actually spent a few minutes talking to the protesters that were outside. and It was really <laughs> interesting. I expected a lot of negative emotion. I was very, very careful not to be confrontational at all because I just wanted to understand. But when I told the small group, it was like four people, that the oil and gas industry is measured heavier on its environmental impact in the industry I know, and then I pulled my phone out and I showed them, they were actually curious. They were like, we did not know that. We thought you didn't care at all about the environment. So You know, there's a big disconnect there as an industry. If we can reach out, like you said, Jake, be real transparent and try to be helpful, we can start these dialogues and maybe change this perception. Yeah. And it doesn't just have to be people like us, guys like you and ladies like you
1: that are listening to the show right now. Each of you have a voice, you have your own opinions. You don't have to have crazy equipment, whether it's recording equipment or video stuff. Most of you have some kind of smartphone start putting out content, putting out content to your family and your friends who are not in the industry, who don't really understand. Explain what your job is. Explain how passionate you are for the industry. This is going to take a a lot of effort from a lot of parties being involved in order to combat that. Because if we don't, it's going to affect us. Because essentially, this is a fight for money. Everybody's wanting to divest out of oil and gas. Money dries up. We can't keep funding the activities like we, we could before. So, I just encourage everybody to just speak up. You all have a voice.
0: Yep. Do it, people.
1: So more news on the kind of the ESG front. Slumberger is moving their technology chief to head of quote unquote new energy division. So the new energy division will deploy its own set of technologies and practices to reduce its carbon footprint in exploration and production operations and develop growth
0: opportunities in emerging markets with Carbon neutral technologies. Yeah, this is interesting. So, SummerJay's been going through a lot of changes. We spoke probably a year or so ago where I noticed their wireline division was renting their tools to anybody, including their competitors. That's a fundamental shift in business for a service company. They're very active online. They have at least two online marketplaces that I know of that they're pushing heavy. They're spending money on social media ads. I like where they're going with this. You know, as the world changes and as more renewable-type energy is stood up, somebody has to deal with it. You might not think about the work that's required to put, say, an offshore windmill in, but it's a lot of work. The thing that's interesting is a lot of the work is very similar to putting in an offshore platform. You still got to anchor it. You still got to understand forces. You still got to understand engineering, You know, stresses, compression, all that sort of stuff. And so you know, I can see slumberjay doing this as a way to actually benefit and actually make money. Now, of course, is this part PR campaign? Of course it is, right? But there's also a chance to actually generate revenue here. And so I can see them stepping in here and wanting a bigger piece of pie. It's, and, you know, I've said this before, the first time about a decade ago that our industry went down the renewables route, it really was just a marketing PR stunt now it's different. We're trying to see if we can make money at it. And we are making money at it, and, and we're going to continue to make money at it. So this makes total sense for Schlumberger to dip their toe here. And then once they start figuring out where they can make an impact, where they can help solve problems, you can see them use their global reach and you know come down here and, and actually start doing work in the renewables industry in a way that makes fiscal sense for them. And quite honestly, because they're so big, they're going to be able to drive prices down, which benefits everybody.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So more on this topic, Mayo Clinic actually has investments in some oil and gas wells that are pumping out revenue and all the climate activists are calling for complete divestiture. Like like you just mentioned earlier, you have entire funds that are being pressured to divest out any energy-related or oil and gas-related investments. We saw the same thing, I believe, with University of Texas and the university lands and all the money that they make. I think they make like $27 million a year, maybe even more from the university lands. But Mayo Clinic is, I think they're breaking in about $28 million in revenue and 2018 from the oil and gas walls. And so all these activists are kind of up in arms. We've already seen Harvard University and Georgetown University both recently announced plans to stop investing in fossil fuel companies. And students are rallying on Thursday as part of the fossil
0: fuel divestment day. That's a real thing. So, just more and more of the same thing. Unfortunately, it is a real thing. It it makes me laugh and it almost makes me want to cry at the same time. But it's just we've let it get here and we got to deal with the consequences. You know what's interesting, though, Jake? So, I've paid a good bit of attention to this over the last two years of investment funds being pressured by public sentiment to divest from oil and gas. You know what? Three of the five that I pay attention have done so far. What they've done is they formed a different group who owns the oil and gas assets. And then that different legal entity is the one that donates or the one that gives them a return on their investment. So they can honestly and legally say they no longer own the oil and gas properties because it's a separate company now that owns it, who then puts money in their investment fund. So they obviously see the profit potential. They obviously want the money. They're just trying to be able to say that they no longer actually own those assets, which honestly is a bit hypocritical. Absolutely. 100% agree.
1: Moving on to not our last article, actually. So Russia has a $300 billion investment in Arctic oil. And what does that mean for Canada? The Russian government just pushed through new legislation, creating $300 billion in new incentives for new ports, factories, and oil and gas developments on the shore and in the waters of the Arctic Ocean. What part of the Arctic is this in, Mark? Do you know?
0: This is over by the Russian-Canadian border. I can't remember what they call that. There's a name for it. Something C over there. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But this is really fascinating because what they're doing, if you kind of go through this, is they're not using the state-run oil companies to do the exploration. They're offering tax incentives to other companies to do the exploration. Now, you've heard me say this a million times before. When you think about environmentally sensitive areas and you think about You know, the nationalized oil companies and then the big super majors. Have you ever heard of a Russian oil spill? And the answer is no. No, no, not at all. The reason's one of two things. They're either better at it than Shell and BP and Exxon, or they don't tell. (laughs) I'm telling you what the answer is they don't tell. So, Arctic exploration is going to happen whether you want it or not. If we're going to have exploring the Arctic, we need the European and American super majors there because they'll be much better stewards of the environment. Nothing against Russia is a different culture, right? Same with the Chinese. And by the way, no hate mail. I'm not dogging them like we get sometimes where I'm saying that I'm looking down on other countries. I'm not. It's a different culture. We have a different environmental culture here in the U.S. with our oil and gas companies. And so, you know, if you want exploration in the Arctic, you're really better off for having the Americans and the European supermajors there. Now, the thing that's really interesting to me, the other thing is about this is now you're starting to get into to what's going to happen when Northwest Passage opens up so you have enough clear passageway that you can actually go around the Arctic. And don't think this is something new caused by global warming. This is something that happens every couple of hundred years. It happened, or say a couple, every five or 600 years. Last time it happened, I think it was around the late 1800s. They were actually able to use wooden sail ships and go through the Northwest Passage. So, you know, we need to pay attention to this, especially since it's such an environmentally sensitive area. You know, fingers crossed that companies out there that are doing exploration have thought ahead and have all the clear clean up and spill response hardware there on site. So if something does happen, they can contain it quickly. But once again, it doesn't really matter what we want to have happen. The Arctic is going to be explored for hydrocarbons. And so we just need to make sure that we take care of it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens between the relationship between Canada and Russia. You know, Canada has its own politic issues around hydrocarbons, which Russia doesn't. Go to Russia and say that you want to shut down natural gas. They'll probably kick you out of the country. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, how crazy, Jake, would it be if somewhere in the next 10 years, the Canadians can't heat their homes with their own natural gas because of politics, and they end up buying natural gas from Russia? That just would be insane, but I could see it happening. Yeah, Absolutely. All right up last article of
1: the week. Fire damage at Exxon's second largest user refinery it leaves restart uncertain. So they I guess they had a fire on Wednesday and it cut output at Exxon's five hundred and two barrel per day Baton Rouge Louisiana refinery. And it's the third Exxon petrochemical plant along the U.S. Gulf Coast to suffer damage in less than a year. Sounds so bad, doesn't
0: it? Luckily, nobody was hurt. Before I even got to oil and gas industry when I was in high school, because I went to high school in Zachary, Louisiana, one summer I actually worked at this refinery in Baton Rouge sandblasting and painting heavy steel, which was no fun. But this refinery is like a city. And I don't mean like a little city. I mean, it's like a New York city in Louisiana. It's enormous. Good thing nobody was hurt. They have shut down a bunch of cokers and some cracking units and some crude distillation units. Out of just preventive maintenance, the fire didn't actually damage them. They shut them down to make sure they can check everything before they should restart everything. I do think it's incredible to Jake that this thing puts out over half a million barrels of day output. That's insane. But Exxon knows what it's doing. That refinery's been there since the '70s. They were able to contain the fire quickly. Nobody was hurt, and they'll restart soon. Just nobody knows exactly when. I'm sure Exxon knows exactly when the restarts gonna happen, but they just haven't made it public yet. But you know, good thing is we we handle it. Nobody got hurt. I just amazing the size of this thing. Absolutely. So
1: that wraps up these stories for this week. Sorry it's been a little doom and gloom. Mark and we were talking about that before we got on the mic, but we don't create the news. We're just here to talk about it, so yeah. Hopefully, things start looking up soon.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of looking up, if you want a chance to win something really cool, this IBM Jake, did I tell you that I caught somebody trying to reverse engineer the shirt? No. Yeah, I'm not gonna say who it was. It was in Colorado area, but somebody was trying to reverse engineer the shirt. What I can't figure out is that do they want one themselves so bad they were spend the money to copy it and have somebody reprint it just for them, or would they go sell it and go into business? I shut them down. Had a threat to threaten legal action, but yeah. That's how popular the shirt is. Somebody wanted to reverse engineer it. But if you want one totally legally, it's really easy. Go to the show notes, click on the link. We give away one a week. And the each shirt has a unique number, which Jake and I are going to use to give away some really cool stuff. Now, people pay attention. We have our 200th show party coming up. And we're going to invite certain people from the public. And if you want to guess how we're going to pick those people, read between the lines. So if you haven't won one of these shirts yet, go register to win. You can register every week, and they're actually really cool shirts. And then off to the weekly rig count. I'm a guess, Jake, because I haven't looked. I'm going to say eight forty-seven. We are at
1: drum roll. Let's see what I'm trying to think. Where were we at last week? I think we're at like right at eight. I think. Okay, yeah. We're so we're still at eight oh seven. We're down two percent from the previous week. So. Yeah, to be expected.
0: It's to be expected. All we can say. Speaking of all we can say, go join the street team. Go to the Facebook. Look for OGN Street Team. Finally, the designers have finally finished the shirt that is only going to be available to the street team. Catherine's going to have that out to the street team probably in the next couple weeks so if you haven't joined, go join. It's our all-volunteer group. We ask you for an hour's worth of work a week helping us with our social. Basically, you're just retweeting stuff and commenting. And if you can't do it, we, we totally get it. But then if you want to learn about all the gas events that are going on, plus ones that the public isn't privy to, go sign up for our monthly oil and gas events newsletter. It's free. Once again, that's in the show notes. And then, Jake, we're launching a new show in March. It's going to be the Oil and Gas Sales and Marketing Podcast. And we're launching it from Aberdeen on March 5th from the Energy Sales Development Conference. How cool is it that our peers and other side of the pond have an energy sales conference going on and we're gonna launch the podcast from there so we're looking forward to that although jake i looked the, up the weather and it was negative two degrees celsius which i think is about 17 degrees below zero <laughs> no it's about seven degrees right uh, damn i've been out of the military for too long i can't convert that in my head it's 2.2 anyway it's cold <laughs> <laughs> that is awful <laughs> yeah Speaking of not cold, if you want Jake and I to come to your event, whether it's a university or student a sales and marketing meeting, some type of industry association. We can come, we can do keynotes. We can actually bring this podcast there, which is always a big hit. So reach out to us. We'd be happy to share the details. And then you know the deal, first Friday Q&A that we never do on Friday, but at least we still get them out. If you have a question, go submit it. If we read your question on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. And while you're out there, Actually, I'm not even actually to go to the website because that's being refreshed right now. But I will actually go to LinkedIn. Join our LinkedIn group. We're at some crazy number, thirty six thousand something people. So go make it thirty six thousand one. Just go to LinkedIn, search for OGG and group. You'll find it really quick. Whew, a lot going on, Jake. You ready to get out of here? Let's do it. All right, remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.
2: Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for February. We do not have any OGGN happy hours in February, but we do have an exciting event coming up in Pittsburgh. This will be our first happy hour there in March, and it will be taking place on March 25th. The location is to be determined, so be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter to keep up with uh, those announcements and to purchase tickets. The Houston API Luncheon will be on February 11th this will be a networking event with top oil and gas business leaders and they promise that you'll be learning something really cool so check it out and sign up for that event the wildcatters ball will be on february 7th in houston this ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the ipaa educational foundation proceeds go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs The API Energy Houston 3-Gun Chapter will be on March 20th in Houston. This event fills up really quickly, so make sure to get your team entered. The best way to do so is to fax or email the form with at least a captain's name as soon as possible. If you need to wait for a check, just notate that on the bottom of the form and send it on. We will be sending Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister to Scotland, to Aberdeen, Scotland, on March 5th, for DokaruCon, which is the first event of its kind. It is a conference for creating high impact sales in energy. And Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast. If you're interested in attending this event, visit dokarucon.dokaru.com. And that is D O Q A R U C O N. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to check again next month for more updates on OGGN events.
0: Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.